Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. Yes, sir. That's Jonathan Gordon. Welcome to the conversation with Tommy Weber. I am Tommy Weber from the capital of the world, my hometown, New York City, Tribeca, the greatest city on the planet. We are here on a rainy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, college seasons are winding up. Regional bids are being given out tomorrow night. Uh, the draft is coming up. Got a lot to talk about. Uh, this is going to be a really special show. I'm very, very lucky to uh, to have this guy with me. Um, let me just tell you a couple of things about my guest, Mickey Gasper. Um, Mickey is a 2016 Futures League MVP. He was the uh, player of the year in the NEC. Um, he was a Cape Cod League All-Star, a four-time NEC regular season champ. Um, and I- I'll tell you a little something aside from Mickey's vitals. Um, in our quest to win a championship last year, there are a lot of things and a lot of people that made great contributions. But usually a team has a pulse. It has a heart beat and it's usually one or two guys that represent that heartbeat and usually it's one or two positions normally it's not a right fielder or a left fielder it's usually either a, a catcher or a shortstop a guy that's really in the in the thick of things and in our case it was no different uh, mickey was our heartbeat every single day uh of everybody that i've i've had the pleasure of being around as a coach or a manager no one exemplified being a professional more than mickey did last season uh, he answered the bell every day. We played nine games in nine days in that playoff stretch, and Mitchie was, Mickey was behind the plate for every single one of them. And I'm going to tell you one quick story about a play that went completely unnoticed that, in my opinion, when people ask me about this championship, I tell them this was the play that won us the championship. Marty Costas made the greatest, most clutch play in the history of baseball, in my opinion. But we would have never gotten to that place if a play wasn't made in game one. We had taken a big lead and we coughed the lead up. While that game was going on, we had coughed the lead up in one inning. I believe three runs had scored and we were really deflated. With two outs, Bourne hit a base hit into left into right field. Chandler Taylor came up, made a great throw. But the even greater play was the play that Mickey Gasper made at home plate. It was a very difficult hop. He came up with the ball and had the presence of mind in the same breath to block home plate and block the runner. It's a play that although it was great in the moment, it goes unnoticed because it's not a measurable play. It's not something that shows up in the box, in the box score. I turned to our manager, Jamie Shevchik, and I said, that may be the biggest play of the season because if you understand the ebb and flow of a baseball game, you realize there are instances where you can't afford to give up the lead. I felt that if we gave up the lead in that inning, it was if we give up the lead and allowed them to go ahead, that we were not going to recover. We were just out of gas. We only had so much energy. And I really believed that making that play enabled us to go into extra innings, win that game, and then, of course, summit two days later and win the championship. My guest, my friend, a guy who was on my Mount Rushmore of baseball players that I've had the pleasure to be around, Mickey Gasper. How are you, Mick? I'm great, Tommy. Thanks for having me. You kidding? It's an honor. Well, you're the best. You're the best. You know how much I uh, 
I respect what you do and how you carry yourself and having you on my show is, is, is an honor to me as well. Let me, let me start by, by going back. It's something I really enjoy doing with, with elite players. Um, and, and you certainly are an elite player, switch hitting catcher, outstanding defensively hit foot power from both sides of the plate. Um, talk to me about a, how you got to Bryant, all right, which is a, um, I guess a, a mid-major power, really an outstanding school. The program's really come a long way. Thanks in no small part to guys like you. Um, how did you, you know, coming out of high school, what's your history? How did you get to where you are? Uh, so, I mean, uh, I wasn't really too highly recruited uh, out of high school. You know, I had a, I had a good junior year and, you know, I was on the, uh, I was playing summer ball with a uh, guy, Steve Lamazny for show baseball. And, you know, he, he was doing his best in the Northeast teams, but, you know, I, it was just uh, really came down to Bryant. Franklin Pierce and uh, Merrimack College, and uh, you know, um, Coach Fecto, uh, Ryan Fecto, who's now at Virginia Tech, he was the one that you know recruited me mostly. And you know, he told me, "You got a spot on this team. You just let me know if you want to play for the Bulldogs." And you know, I uh, I weighed my options, and you know, it just turned out that I, you know I really wanted to play Division One baseball, and you know, they were giving me the best opportunity and the best chance to succeed. So, you know, I. I went with the uh, I went with Bryant. I remember, and you know, I haven't looked back since. Well, it was the right choice, obviously. In retrospect, um, so often uh, guys make the wrong choice, and uh, you did mm-hmm. not. Um, you, you you certainly made the right choice, and everything has really worked out great. And uh, I, I still think there are great things to come. Talk to me about you know every kid that goes to college and plays in college has two aspirations. One is, uh, of course, they want to play professionally. And the other is they want to play in Cape Cod. There's not a kid who plays uh, Division One, Two, or Three baseball in America who would pass up the chance to play uh, in the Cape League. Tell me how that came about for you uh, after you won Player of the Year. How did how did that transaction take place? So uh, you know, I remember I was just I was talking to coach before the uh, fall when I got to school after my summer in Nashville, and you know they were like, so I mean we're we're looking to place you somewhere. What do you want to do? And I was like, uh, I didn't even have, I didn't think the Cape was, was going to look at, uh, uh, soon to be a uh, senior summer that I was going into. And, you know, I was just, I was saying, yeah, I'd like to go to Newport or something, you know, or maybe go to California, you know, mm-hmm. travel a little bit. And turned out one day I, I got a call or my coach got a call and he said, Hey, Brewster wants to, he's a catcher. And they said they'd take you on a full contract. And, you know, as soon as I got that, I jumped right at it. I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And it was, it was you know, it turns out to be the greatest summer of my life. I, I not, a, not a day goes by where I, I don't think about that summer. Me you too, know, man. I'll never forget the text I got from Coach Shevchik just, you know, telling me that I got a full contract. And you know, I was just, ah, was the happiest kid in the world that day. Well, that's why you called Mick the Kid, because you do uh, <laughs> exemplify – uh, a kid playing the game, which is very rare today, having grown up in this whole showcase audition kind of climate that kids have grown up in over the last generation. You see very few kids with the kind of enthusiasm for the game. And also one of the other things about Mickey is, and I think this is a very healthy thing, and it's something that's sort of been legislated out of the game. Mickey has a healthy dislike for the opposition. That doesn't mean that Mickey is dirty player or he's wishing bad things to happen uh, to his opponent. But I take care of that for him. But the 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 reality is that 
good competitors, while they're competing, find a way or find something about another team that they don't like. And, and, and talk to us a little bit about that, because you are one of the few kids that I refer to as tough. Where, where does that come from? No one else other than my father. You know, I've, I've grown up, uh, you know, he's been my coach always. And, you know, there's not a guy that I've ever I've ever been around that wanted to win more, whether it was a, a fifth grade Merrimack rec basketball game or, a, you know, a, a state legion tournament game where he was coaching. So, I mean, I get that from my dad. You know, it's just I don't know how somebody could go play a sport and not want to win. And, you know, so, you know, when I get on the baseball field, I'm like you said, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a dirty guy, but I play the game hard and. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to win. And, you know, I, I, that's a funny way you put it, you know, looking to, for something I dislike about the other team. And I guess I do do that, you know, whether it's, you know, facial hair, long hair, something, something that, uh, that bugs me. I guess I, I try to hone in on that and then fire myself up a little bit. Well, you know what? I see, I, I identify with that. And, and obviously you gravitate towards players you identify with. And we had so many guys this year that, that I identified with, because I think we had a lot of guys who, not necessarily had a chip on their shoulder, but took the game personally. And I, and and I thought in, in, in a couple of instances, you know, a couple of times in the dugout where I looked and I said, wow, last year's team would have never done this on uh, last year's team was, you know, planning on leaving in, in June for God's sakes. Um, this year's team, it wasn't like that. And, and it was just such a pleasure to be around win, lose or draw. I say this all the time. Yeah. The fact that we won is, is wonderful, but we didn't know we were going to win until the last day, uh, the last out, the last pitch. But, um, it was just such a, a an incredibly professional experience to be around so many guys who really did want to win and who, you know, kind of held each other accountable and as a result held the other team accountable. And I think that's what fueled uh, our ability to make it through nine games, nine days, you know, five times facing elimination and just although we all wanted to go home. I mean, everybody wants to go home. It's a grind. It's tough after a while. Uh not one guy conceded an at-bat, a pitch, you know, a base. 90 feet was valuable, and we took it, and, uh, and we came home with a big trophy. Um, and, you know, I spent a lot of time with your father. I, uh, obviously, I, I came out and saw you play. You were one of the, the guys who, in the Northeast, I was going to make sure I got out to see, see play. And Neil Barbella and I came out, and, and we hung out with your dad. And I, I hung out with your dad a little bit in the Cape as well. And he's a Jersey guy. Um, and that comes through you know, very, very quickly, you know, right away, there's a, a real simpatico between guys from the Northeast. We sort of speak the same language, you know, we say what's on our mind and sometimes it gets us into a little trouble, but you know, we're okay with that. And I, and I think you're right. I think you do get that with your dad. And I think your mom and dad are two of the loveliest people that, I, that, that I've ever come across in baseball. And, uh, you know, please send them my best and my love and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get together soon. Good things are going to happen for you. Let me, let me, let me sort of switch, switch gears here. Tell me what goes through your mind at this moment. Miller through the windup and the pitch. This one hit on the ground towards short. Fielded by Graffinino. Throw on to first. In time. Now and forever. The Brewster Whitecaps are kings of the Cape in 2017. The Brewster Whitecaps <laughs> defeat the Bourne Braves and win their first Man, Cape League championship. <laughs> That shit never gets old. I'm sorry. It doesn't. The little team that could That's great. That's come great. back and wins game three at home. Yeah. I, something I'll never forget. I mean, oh, it's, it's, I, I wasn't even thinking. I just remember I got to go back up first base. And I just kept running. This when I saw Julian catch that ball. 
the only thing I saw was throw my hands in the air. Go, go give Troy Miller a big hug. How big did he come up for us, huh? Late, late in the yeah. summer to, to be on the mound. Oh my God. That's a lot of pressure. Was, you know, he, 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 he got a couple shots, you know, late in the season too, like uh, late in the regular season. You know, he was, he faced a little adversity. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't dominating or anything. He wasn't, you know, like our go-to guy, but then, you know, playoffs come around, anything can happen. We know that. And, Troy Miller turns out to be the biggest guy in the in Brewster Whitecap history. You know, he just he shuts it down for a couple innings and you know gives us some some comfort. Yeah, and, I you know turns out that he he finishes the game for us. Wow, just amazing! I, just amazing. I, yeah. I also I also think that um, what what happened with us too is we really started to gel defensively. I mean, we made some great plays in those oh. in those playoff games and Graffinino and Nick Dunn and. Uh, obviously Marty's, you know, ridiculous, uh, epic uh, catch. And just as a team, we really gel, which is why I, I always believe the college season is a little too short because you really don't get to get, you know, your team's full story arc. You don't get rolling. I think you need to play 60 or 70 games in order to do that. And and in an hour, 50 some odd games, uh, we, we, we certainly peaked at the right time. Um, Mick, I, I I sent you a text um, as as you know I'll, I'll tell you, I I, told, I congratulated Mick on his incredible uh, uh, college career and I told him that I uh, look forward to next week when his new career will start and then, of course we're talking about uh, the draft and um, I, I just want to let you know anybody I've spoken to I've spoken to a number of teams you're one of the first guys I mentioned and I can't say enough good things about you and many many teams uh, have uh, in kind. Uh, return that sentiment. Talk to me as a, you know, we've all gone through it. Um, it's, it's nothing new. And I, I, I um, um, you know, it's, it's a tough time. This next 10, 12 days, whatever it is, uh, everybody's on edge as to where uh, they're going to wind up. Talk to me about your feelings about the oncoming draft. No, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed. You know, I'm trying not to get too nervous. Uh, you know, I got a week, a little more than a week to, you know, stay, stay locked in, stay ready, you know, physically and mentally with my swings and my catching. So, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to stay, stay with my routine. Uh, you know, I know there's this, it's out of my control now. I think I've, I've put my body of work in over these last three years that, you know, I can, I can rely on. And now it's just, you know, it's up to somebody giving me a chance to go do what I know I can do. So, you know, right now I'm just trying to stay level-headed, stick to my routine and, you know, just be ready when the opportunity is offered. Obviously, I guess you, you have representation. Uh, are you getting any messages, any feedback, any calls at all? What's what's happening? Yeah, you know, so, I mean, I, I've been talking to a, a few teams and, you know, my advisor's been, you know, he's been talking to me, you know, just keeping me in the loop with everything. I've been keeping him in the loop if I hear something. And, you know, I've I played a little left field uh, at, at a series at Stony Brook and, you know, I, um, one one scout was really happy about that. He he was like, he he was intrigued. He was like, oh, I didn't know you played left field. I thought you just played first base and catching. So you know, I'm I was able to you know show my versatility a little bit, and I think that opened a few more eyes. So hopefully, I can build off that, and you know, people uh, see I can play look more than one position. 
I, I, I definitely think you can. I, I, I think that you're athletic enough. Uh, I, I think you can handle first base. You're going to catch. I think you could be a real good utility guy, especially your ability to be a legitimate switch hitter, which is what you are. Talk about your maturity at the plate. You are one guy. Um, I have not seen many guys with a better plate discipline, a better idea of the strike zone. Uh, I think that's going to serve you well in pro ball. Talk to us about how you developed that part of your game. No, that's, that's just all approach. That's, you know, that was, I was learned from, you know, my dad, you know, watching baseball with me, you know, nonstop, you know, watching, watching big leaguers play and, you know, seeing what they do. And, you know, it also had a lot to do with um, my uh, late hitting coach that just passed away a few days ago. I'd like to say uh, Bob Caswell up in Wilton, New Hampshire, you know, he, he, he shaped my swing. You know, I, I worked with him since I was eight years old. And, you know, one day when I was 12, when I was a, 12 years old he was like you throw right-handed but you don't hit why don't we uh, try switch in and you know the rest was history so uh, that man did a lot so much for me in my career when it comes to switching and you know he was one person that never gave up on on me when you know I I was struggled uh, from the right side early on you know uh, especially my uh, freshman sophomore years in college you know I wasn't the same hitter I am now uh, from the right side certainly but you know, he always gave me that confidence and, you know, always told me to stick with it. So I, I got to thank him. But, you know, when it comes to my approach, my discipline, you know, I think it's just swinging at the right pitches. And, you know, it's, it's all, I don't know. It's, it's all about staying inside the ball for me. And I think if I'm thinking the other way, that means I'm not going to try to get too big and, you know, be out in front of something slow. So if I'm trying to stay inside the ball, drive it the other way, and, you know, I'm going to be on time the majority. And, you know, I I learned a great deal from Nick Dunn this summer, too. I I like I love talking hitting with Nick Dunn. I mean, I, that's a special kid right there when it comes to. That's the like, only that's course, the only thing know. Nick talks about. He's right. He's, he's, he's you know, dead you don't, silent. You don't hear him talking about. <laughs> he's dead silent. All the other ain't time. No, no launch angle. No, you know, nah, back leg. Nah, this, it, nah. it, yeah. You know, that was a good pitch. And I and I swung at it. tried to hit it the other way. Yeah, I. He he's a special kid to me that I'll, I'll I'll never forget. You know that summer playing with him. Yeah, I agree. I think Nick's brilliant. I think there's a brilliance to to Nick, uh, and watching him hit is is something that everybody should do, just over and over and over again. Not even examining it, just let it seep into you a little bit, which is something I think you did. You know, you you touched upon something. I do really think it's a sweet sentiment that you remembered your coach. That's a really cool thing to do, man. And may he rest in peace. He's, you ha you are a, a testament to to what a good coach he really was. And um, I'm sorry for your loss. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends, Hunter and Braden Bishop, as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. You touched upon something that kids don't do at all today. You said, I watched big league games a lot. 
kids don't watch baseball anymore. They watch highlights and they watch bat flips and they watch a lot of the silliness and they see all the metrics on the screen. But I, I really believe it's hurt a generation of players because they they don't see it's like being a musician and not listening to Mozart. I mean, you really need to see how the best people do do this. And I'm sure your father had a lot to do with this because he watched a million games. So you you are sort of a unicorn. Talk to me about what that was like watching a lot of games, because most of the guys that you know, you're in the clubhouse with weren't watching a lot of games. Right. I, I mean, it's I like you said, how could you how can you want to do something and not watch the best people do it? It's like it would be like studying for an exam and studying the wrong things that, you know, people didn't create or I mean it doesn't make sense so I totally agree and you know when it comes to when it comes to watching games you know it was always it wasn't about like look at their swing or look at like what they're doing it was like more of you know look how they're reacting look how they they position their body look how they set up pre-pitch look at you know what they're doing after the pitch you know backing up bases and you, you know you see all that in a big league game and you know when when you get down to it it's it, it's the big media's fault. You know, ESPN wants to show you exit velo and, right. and backflips, like you said, and, you know, where's, where's the televised games, you know, where, you know, it's just watching baseball. And, right. you know, I think, I think a huge problem too. Now you, you, I got to look at a K zone and <laughs> on the screen, like just let me watch baseball. Right. You know, right. I, I don't, I, I can tell if the umpire messed up or not. I don't right. need to look at, I don't need your automated, automated K zone. So, no, it's, that's, it's a point, point. that's a great point, Nick. That's a great point. I uh, talk talk about this. Let me let me let me get your input on this. And this is what I love about dealing with players who are really good. And 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 if I if someone had asked me and I didn't know what what do you like about Mick, I would say Mickey must have watched a lot of baseball. Mickey's an organic player. Mickey's a guy who plays with feel. Mickey's a guy who understands all the nuances of the game. And and now you're telling us how you got to do this, which is a great recipe for any kid that's listening. This is what you should be doing. And and here's something about the K zone that I was I, I a thought came to my mind. Let me let me I I think there's a I think there's a virtue to getting rid of the K zone and as a player or a coach seeing where pitches are and sort of without knowing whether or not they are a strike, just because a ball is a half a ball off the outside corner doesn't mean you can't hit that pitch. It doesn't mean that that pitch is something you have to stay away from. So the K zone sort of puts you to sleep. It shuts your brain off so that you don't process the information as if you're at a game. When you're in the dugout, you're watching without the K zone. Give me your impression of that observation. Yeah, you know, you know, you look at that's that was that's the beauty of watching big leaguers hit. You know, they they can hit balls, and you know they they can they can do things with different pitches that you know not everybody can do. And so, you know, when you put that K zone up there, you know, it starts limiting people's minds on what to swing at and what they think's a good pitch to hit. When in reality, you know, you look at a guy like Mike Trout, he can hit a ball off his shoe top, which right. that's not going to be in the strike zone. But, you know, he can handle that pitch just like other people can handle the ball. It's, you know, three, two, two inches outside, you know, they can, they can go with that. So, you know, when you, when you put the K zone up there, I think as a younger generation of baseball players comes up, they're going to start being like, all right, well, I got to be, it's got to be in this zone. Right. And if it's not there, I got to take it when, you know, that's a pitch you can handle. So here's a real inside baseball, Mickey Gasper question to a guy who's an outstanding hitter from both sides of the plate. So, Let's say, let's say you're getting your your O two right. You're going to protect a little bit. 
as you do very well. So what you're saying then is perhaps uh, if a guy, if you're hitting right hand and a lefty throws you a bad breaking ball and it's slightly out of the strike zone down, you're going to rip that ball, even though it's slightly yeah, out of the I'm, strike zone. Right. I mean, that it could be, you know, an inch or two below my knee, but if, you know, it's, if I'm on time and, you know, if I, if I see it, then why not just stay in my legs a little bit, you know, get down and, you know, hit it as hard as I can. Right. right? You know, it's, it's not whether it's, it's a, the, like, if it's a strike or a ball, you know, it's whether it's a pitch you can hit or not. And right. I, I think that's one thing I've really learned where, you know, if you get too picky, if you're getting a little too selective, you get in some trouble. And I think that's what happens to me. You know, when I get in slumps, I get a little too selective where I'm taking pitches that I can handle where then I'm getting myself in tougher counts. Right. Right. You lose your aggression. You lose, right. you lose that be swinging from the uh, on deck circle mentality because for a good hitter like you, it's hit, 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 take. It's not decide what to hit. You should be thinking I'm going to hit every pitch and then stop yourself from hitting, which is what it looks to me a lot. You do, especially when you go down on that back knee. You look like it's hit for a long time and then abort the mission. That's what it looks like to me. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, that is my one thing that you know I, I I get some praise about from my coaches. You know, some people they tell me that's one thing they like to see. And you and like a lot of pictures, you see that where my my back knee is is about to come, but you know I just I'm I'm able to keep my hands back which that's, that's one thing, you know, when you want to drive the ball the other way, keep, as long as you're, you're on time and, you know, you can see that ball late and trust yourself. And I, I think you have a good chance of not getting beat and, you know, trying to do too much. No, words mean a lot. And you use all the great words that I love, like trust. And, you know, you're, you're not afraid to be late and you're not, you know, you trust yourself. There's, these are like these universal themes that we don't hear enough of. And I remember having a conversation with Nick Dunn and he talked about things like trust and rhythm and feel and flow and, you know, all these terms that you never see on Twitter anymore because now all it is is about some kind of graphic or some metric or some lunatic telling you, you know, I don't know, swing, you know, <laughs> swing with your eyes closed. Um, and and I, I really think that that's going to serve you really well in pro ball because in pro ball, it becomes, can you make the adjustment? You know, you got to adjust. It's just, you got to make more adjustments at a higher level. And if you're locked into one way, well, it makes it that much more difficult for you to make those adjustments and coming at it the way you do from that openness that you have as a hitter, I think is going to serve you extremely well. Well, I, I, I just know good things are going to come. Okay, let's switch gears <clears throat> real quick. All right, we're going to have some fun. Got it. All right, so you could go to dinner with uh, three people, all right? You can't be related to them, all right? All right. Yeah. Any three people in the world, who do you choose? Can they be passed away? No, let's keep them alive for now. Got to be alive, all right. I'll I'm tell you. have to go with Michael, Michael Jordan, certainly. Assassin. Assassin. Derek Jeter. Assassin. And probably Yadier Molina. Oof. He's pretty good. Be my three. How how good is Yadier Molina? Jesus. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Somebody to do that at that level for that long. For that long. It's one in one in a million. I don't think the there's not gonna be another one like that. That's 
uh, he's a special special kind of ball player. What what why Jeter? Talk to me about Jeter. What do, what does Mickey Gasper like about Jeter? You know the the competitiveness, the you know the fire. You know, growing up a Yankee fan, watching watching Derek Jeter is is you know it's it's it makes you miss him watching him as a baseball player because just his will to win for and for 162 games and then playoffs is you know it's something pretty special. You know, you watch highlights of you know those the postseason runs and everything, and you know his his energy level and you know. His, his just his heart that he he just wore on his sleeves was something that you know I aspire to be like. Well, Mick, you 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 are hitting the nail right on the head. Uh, it, it, I'm I I so th- this this short conversation we've had a lot of conversations, but this short conversation has so enlightened me as to who you are and how you got to where you are because you couldn't be more right. History history is going to be very kind to Derek Jeter, and I'll tell you why. Um, when when the smoke clears, uh, as years go on, people are going to say, well, he's, he's as good as Jeter. He's, and then they're going to realize, eh, maybe not. You know, all of a sudden, Didi Gregorius is hitting 230 and nobody's mentioning him in the same breath as Derek Jeter. And, and since we're prisoners of the present, you know, if a guy goes two for two, they're wondering whether or not he's going to get to the Hall of Fame. Nobody lets anything marinate anymore. I want to tell you something about Derek Jeter that I believe. Now, listen very carefully. I believe Derek Jeter may have had the single greatest career in the history of baseball. Now, I do not believe Derek Jeter is the best player in the history of baseball, but all things considered, championships, excellence, in the big city, on the big stage, never having gotten into any trouble at all, being a model person on and off the field, and having made a veritable fortune. I don't know of anybody else that's ever played the game that has had that much success in that many arenas on the big stage, won and put checked off as many boxes as a baseball player as Derek Jeter did. I can't disagree with that. You know, not there's it takes a special kind of person to, you know, be in the big city and, and live up to the hype like he did. You know. I, I, you know, people are going to say, oh, he's not the greatest shortstop of all time. Yeah, you might be right, but I I can't disagree with saying he had the best career of all time, but on the pinstripes, doing what he did for such a long time, you know, battling adversity, you know, he gets hurt. I remember watching that game when he uh, lit in to third base in uh, Toronto Toronto. when I was a little kid. I remember watching and I was devastated because we didn't, there's no Jeter that year, but, you know, to be able to do that for so long, I, it's it it makes you wonder, you know, what drove him. I would I would love to have a conversation with Derek Jeter one day. Well, I, I don't know where that comes from, but answering the bell every day is something that you see now in modern day baseball is becoming more and more valuable. As guys can't play four days in a row anymore, here's a guy who answered the bell every day for almost twenty years, except for years mm-hmm. where he had catastrophic injuries. Um, the other thing about Derek Jeter, I watched him for twenty years. Derek Jeter ran hard every single time to first base. Every single time. When he smelled a hit, he went as hard as he possibly could. That is like, there's nobody who does that anymore. I mean, guys are watching balls. You know, they hit a fly ball. They watch to see if it goes out of the park, and then they barely get to second base. Derek Jeter ran hard every time, and I think it's no coincidence that his last hit 
was an infield hit that he legged out in Boston. He had over 300 infield yep. hits in his career. And you can't have over 300 infield hits in your career if you're Yoena Cespedes or Robinson Cano and you're trotting to first base. Derek Jeter, he was his own guy. He was going to run hard no matter what everybody else was doing. And I think that might be his greatest accomplishment, believe it or not, that he actually decided, I'm going to run out every single ball. Yep, and you know you saw that the other night at Yankee Stadium with Mike Trout, where you got to give it. You know that's why he's such a special guy. You know his abilities, his skills. He's three for three already with two doubles, and it's a tapper, a shortstop, and he legs it out. Look, looked like it was a no doubt six three, and you know he he beats that out. That's that's one thing that that should never should never go away in the game of baseball's hustle because. You know, I I've, I heard Derek Jeter say you, you get four times to get on base, five max in a game. If you're having, a, like, you know, I'm only getting four chances to run the bases. Why not do it hard? Yeah, unfortunately, you touched on it earlier. The guys at MLB sort of don't see that. They purposely turn right. a blind eye to all the, uh, the guys not running hard. And it's okay. Guys trotting it to second base for a double or whatever. You know, that's why there's no, there's two reasons why there's no triples anymore in baseball. First of all, the ballparks are too small. And second of all, nobody, when they hit the ball, runs hard out of the batter's box. So you can't get a triple. It's almost impossible. If somebody doesn't boot a ball in the outfield or the ball doesn't bounce funny, there's no way of getting to third base. You like, you're playing like automatics. You concede that it's going to be a double. And God forbid you don't like look at it just in case, you know, if the ball goes out of the park, you can do your customized bat flip, which is something that is really hurting, hurting the game as well. Um, I, I just I and I also think, too, with a guy like you. If Mickey Gasper is going to run hard, then I got to run hard. You know, if Derek Jeter is going to run hard, well, I got to run hard. <laughs> you know, you know when, when you're big guys, when you when you're better players and your best players decide they're going to do it one way. Guys are going to follow, even if they don't know they're following. It's human nature to follow the leader. And that's what I think, you know, I'm sure at Bryant, that's what they did. And I know uh, in the Cape with, with Brewster, that's what guys did. And, and it wasn't like you were standing on the top of the dugout step yelling stuff, which is another thing I loved about us this year. You know, we, we didn't need to say it. We just did it. And you, you led by example. And, and, and I think that's really a, a testament to your character. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, that's the only way to lead. You know, there's, there's rah-rah guys, but even though, you know, they're loud, they, they still, they still perform and do it on the field. And I, I think, you know, when it comes to hustle and, you know, things like that, you, you can't, you can't just say it like you got to do it 10 out of 10 times and then you do it, do it another 10 out of 10 times. You know, there's never, there's never a playoff where you're not hustling, you know, you're not running out of ground ball, you're not backing up a base and, no, and that's that's one thing All right, that the Brewster Whitecaps were able to do. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, your impressions of uh, Jamie Shevchik, Jason Kanzler, Neil Barbella, Straub, Ryan Smythe, the guys, Will Delgado, uh, the, the crew, and how those how you how you were received, and your impressions of them uh, and the coaches in general. You could leave me yeah, out of this. You leave me play. out of this. It's my show. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> you know, I they they were just all you know player first guys. It was you know they made it clear from day one that it wasn't about them. You know that it was about making us as a team and us as individual players. You know they just wanted us to play well and have fun and 
you know, get better. You know, when, when it's not about them, when they, when they make sure you understand that it's about you guys as a team and, you know, you guys being a unit, then, you know, it just makes it so much more fun to show up to the ballpark, you know, you know, when it came to, uh, when it came to, you know, pregame stuff, you know, we're, we're, we were able to pick each other's minds and, you know, have conversations like it was nothing. So, you know, it was, it was a very open dialogue. It was a very, you know, it was a very cohesive unit where it wasn't, you know, rankings and, you know, I'm the top dog and this is my second in command and this is the third in command. And then the players, it was just a, it was a group of baseball minds, you know, coming together and, you know, trying to understand the game at a higher level and, you know, compete and win baseball games. Well, man to man, when you say that it, uh, it sort of validates, um, the time that I've spent and cert- uh, the time that I spent my whole life and certainly the time I spent in 2017 at Brewster, cause those are all the things that you want to hear. Uh, cause th- that's the stuff that to me is the real highbrow inside baseball kind of stuff. That's very rare, especially nowadays in, in this hyper control freak kind of, uh, environment that kids grow up in. And, uh, for you to say that it means, it means the world to us, believe me, cause that's exactly what we're trying to do. It's about the players and, uh, and it always will be. And um, regardless of how much the NCAA or administrators or umpires try to make it about something else, uh, what they all need to realize is that you could have a game without any of them, uh, but you can't have a game with all of them and no players. So it will always be about the players. Anyway, um, I, I really appreciate that. That means a great deal to all of us, believe me. Um, Absolute truth. You guys are the best. Thanks, man. Thank you. So... Uh, one more quick fun question. All right. So three movies, you're on a desert island, you get three movies. Which three do you get? Oof. That's that's a good one. Well, definitely remember the Titans. That's my lock. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Saving Private Ryan at two. Three. I don't know if I want to go comedy or an action. I'm going to have to go with Batman, uh, Dark Knight, the one with uh, Heath Ledger as the Joker. That's Those would be my movie. three. That's a great movie. Good job. Who, if you had, let's say hypothetically, if you had to play a poker game, because I know you don't play poker because you don't gamble because it's against NCAA rules, <laughs> <laughs> who would you want to play against? Of the Brewster Whitecaps, who would you like to have in that poker game? Who would be... Uh, oh, jeez. The guy that you would be able to flee, fleece the most money from. I mean, I, you gotta get you gotta get Joe Maltier out there. <laughs> you, you, you need to be playing against him. Poor guy. <laughs> you gotta have Christian Malfetta out there because he's a big gambler. He he don't back down, right. even if he's got a bad hand. Right. <laughs> and probably you know, sneaky Zach Lingenfelter. You know, me and him, we we had some battles. Really? You know where it was it was a. Uh, it was who who could go home taking the biggest hit. So all right, all right, we uh, we both dug a little bit. All right, you threw enough guys under the bus. Joe seems to be a unanimous choice. So next, when I have him on the show, I'm gonna have to bring it up to him. Um, yeah, he's 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 a little 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 too wired to play <laughs> poker. We just had lunch recently. Joe's Joe's the best. We love Joe. Um, Incredible. So we are. Um, I, I want you to know that whatever, you, as I told you, I've told you this many times, man, I, I got your back. We're friends for life. 
what we did this summer will uh will never get old man and um uh if you whatever you need i'm here for you um when the draft comes you know i'm i'm only a phone call away uh you know if you're in town you want to work out you want to get some balls whatever uh i'm here i i'm i'm sure you're working out hitting hitting the weight room doing everything you have to do to be ready for when and i say when that call comes because it's going to come um and uh you know, I just, I, I can't tell you how much, uh, what a pleasure it was to have you not only as, as a player, um, but as a guy that I learned a great deal from and, and a friendship that I, I hope will last a lifetime. And I, I love you and I, I can't thank you enough for what you did. I love you too, Tommy. Thank you so much. Thank you for the rest, the rest of the staff with you this summer, man. You guys, you guys are the best. You did so much for that group of guys that, you know, you guys might not realize right now, but you definitely will soon. There's, there's some great ball players on that team, and you know you guys did a lot in shaping us. Can't well, thank you enough. Hope it's it's going to be just the beginning for you, Mick. We're going to say goodbye now to Mickey Gasper. Say hello to your parents for me. Send them my love. Have a great Memorial Day, Mick. All right. Be well, and I'll speak you to you it. soon. Thank you. We are nice. We are nice. That's right, baby. Love you. Be good. <laughs> love you too. Yeah, we want to thank my guest. Mickey Gasper, the heartbeat of a championship team on Cape Cod, the Brewster Whitecaps. He is on my Mount Rushmore. You have listened to a lot of great inside stuff from an elite player, a great thinker, uh, who next week will go in the amateur draft uh, and begin his professional career. I I just think great things are going to happen for my pal, uh, the de facto captain of our team, Mickey Gasper. Um, That's going to be a wrap. Uh, from the Gotham Podcast Studios. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and of course, always on TommyWeberBaseball.com. This is Fred and Florence's son out to the beautiful tunes of Ella Fitzgerald. Nobody does it better. Say, I'm in love with you and all that jazz. You're my dream come true. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.